This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Hello, welcome to Celebration Church. Glad to have you with us on our first Wednesday Bible study and uh, worship and stuff. So, uh... We are continuing our study. Uh, we're asking the question. We started it last month. The question is, why are we here? What is all this about? How did we get here? Why are things the way that they are? And when is this all coming to an end? So we started, uh, part of this is a, uh, oh, what's the word? <laughs> it's a theoretical, you know, we're, we're kind of guessing uh, based on Scripture what this is all about, because the Bible doesn't give us every little detail that went on. What we do know is that there was a rebellion in heaven, and Satan got, we know his motivation. He was very proud and arrogant. He thought he was amazing. He was the most beautiful thing that God had ever created, and he fell in love with himself and thought, man, I'm so amazing. I should be in charge. So we know that's what happened. He gets a third of the angels to rebel against God, and uh, the rebellion fails, and they all get thrown to this big rock called Earth. And, uh, and then there's this kind of pause that takes place, and we'll get into all of that. So uh, the uh, question that we're asking ourselves is, we know what was motivated Satan. The question is, what did he say to uh, angels that got a third of the angels who were living in pure perfection and joy, and everything was great, what did he say to them that got them to go with him? Okay, and we know his motivation. They had to have a motivation. So he comes and he's a liar. The Bible says he's the father of lies. And uh, so he starts out with these lies. And my wild guess is he... You hear that weird noise? Test, test. <laughs> I have the attention span of a fly. All right. Uh... So, you know, what, what charge did he make? And I, I came up with what I think are three potential things that he said to get them to all fall in line. One, we're going to go backwards, actually. We're going to start with three. God is not all-powerful. Okay. As we talked about last time, no one does a, uh, okay, this might drive me crazy. I can't handle it. Talk amongst yourselves. Let's try this. Give Tim a hand. Ta-da! Thank you, Timmy. All right. What was they talking about? Well, God is, is not all powerful. No one does a coup anywhere in the world which is to overthrow the existing power, unless they think they can win. They all thought they could pull this off. 
Clearly they did or they wouldn't have done it. No one ever does a power coup thinking uh, we're not going to make this or hoping. I mean, they felt very confident. So they had to think that God wasn't all powerful. All right. Uh, two, uh, what uh, I think that he was convincing uh, uh, angels about is that God doesn't know what he's doing. And we started looking into that. I'm going to pick up with that as well tonight. But, uh, and that he doesn't really love us. This is all pure conjecture. There's the word. On my part, it's not a big deal if you agree with it or not. Uh, but the reason I come up with this is these are the kind of things that God, that Satan still puts in the minds and hearts of people today. One, God, your problem's too big. God can't fix your mess. You're in such a mess. It's so complicated. It's so overwhelming. It's so jacked up. You know, why pray? Why? Because it's, God can't even do anything for you. That's a lie. And those are the kind of thoughts that Satan still throws in people's. He still does his A game. Why? If he had an argument that could sway a third of angels in perfection, why would he change? All right? So that's one of the things he throws in people's head. The other thing is that, you know, just, can you really trust God? Can I really trust him? We know what the Bible says. You know, a lot of times I'll quote people, you know, the Bible says, people say, yeah, I know, but. And what they're saying is, yeah, but does it really apply to me? Does this really work? Does God really know what he's doing? Do these promises really work? And then finally, the all-encompassing, God really doesn't care about you. Uh, you're just a nothing and nobody and uh, that kind of thing. So, so we were getting into this part of it. Obviously, they, he, they found it right away. Number three was a mistake. Because <laughs> as soon as they tried to do the rebellion, boom, they got smashed. I mean, I think it was instantaneous. I think it was quite the sight to see. Jesus said, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. And, uh, and then, boom, it was over. So clearly, he's a lot more powerful than we thought. But then, how did they get this idea of challenging whether God knows what he's doing? Now, there's three times in the Bible that we get a picture, a window into heaven. We talked about one of them uh, last time. This is in uh, 1 Kings chapter 22. And if I can find it here. Da, 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 da. <laughs> All right. Here we go. So, uh, verse 19. Micah, this prophet, is saying, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and his left. So here he has a vision into heaven. Here's what's going on. Now, all this is in the context of this really horrible king named Ahab. And God is going to bring judgment on Ahab. So he gets this picture into heaven. He looks into heaven. And verse 20, and this is what he says. He sees, the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going there to his death? So the plan was that's where he was going to die. And God's saying, okay, how are we going to do this? Who's going to do it? And one Spirit suggested this. Another angel suggested that. So, I mean, it's like, one says, well, let's do it this way. And God goes, nah. Another one suggests, nah. And then finally, Spirit came forward and stood before the said, well, I'll entice him. And God says, I'm intrigued. <laughs> How will you do it? He said, well, I'll go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets. And God said, well, you'll succeed 
in that, go do it. So what we see here, he's looking into heaven and the picture we see in heaven is God sitting around the throne asking people for advice. All right? Well, you can't just build off of one uh, event in the Bible. You can't just take one scripture. That's, that's a bad idea. But now let's look at the second time we get a picture into heaven. It's in Isaiah, the sixth chapter, uh, verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So now he's having the same experience. He gets a vision into heaven. This door opens up into the spirit world, and he can see what's going on in there. Above him, now Micah said, you know, there are a bunch of people there on the left and the right. He wasn't very specific. Uh, Isaiah's a little more specific. Above him were seraphim, a type of angel, each with six wings, kind of like a mosquito or something. With two wings, they covered their faces. Two, they covered their feet. Two, they were flying all over the place. And they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the, vo- at the sound of their voices, the doorsteps and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. So not only these big things flying around, when they cried out, it was so loud and so powerful, everything was shaking. That's all. You think our music is loud. All right. Apparently, it's really loud in heaven. And things are shaking literally from the volume that is going on. Uh, so uh, at the sound of the voice of doorsteps, thresholds, smoke filled the temple. And Isaiah freaks out. Uh, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. If there's one thing they knew that was told to them in the Old Testament is no one can see God and live. All right? You can't look on God. Well, he walks in, in this vision. He's not actually seeing, but but in this vision, he sees this happening, and he freaks. Well, I'm going to die because no one can do this. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from you and your sin is atoned for. Explain all of that. I don't know. All right. Lots of people can, they have their explanations to all that. All it knows is that somehow he's made right. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, so after all this, he's freaking out. He's literally panicked. He thinks he's going to die. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you think, I'm going to die. It's not a calming sensation. It's a panicking sensation. This is the kind of sensation that he has. And it's overwhelming. And as the angel comes here, shh, you're, okay, you're fine. And I don't even understand what all that is. Uh, but now he, then he continues in his vision. And after all this activity, just like Micah, he now sees God asking for advice. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who do you guys think I should send? Who are we going to go for? So I mean, the context is they, they need someone to go do whatever. And, uh, and God's asking everyone. And apparently no one has an answer. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And then God sends Isaiah. So that's the second time that we get a picture of someone looking into heaven. And then there's this sense of God asking. Now, if this is the way God usually operates, and we'll say for the sake, we've got two verses here. 
Maybe this is God's modus operandi. We would explain it, I think, gloriously in the reason God doesn't, not because God doesn't know what to do. You don't think God knew how to get rid of Ahab? I'm pretty sure he had a good clue. You don't think God knew, gee, who'd be the best person to send? Again, I think God very much knew is he loves to interact with his creation. There is something about God he loves to hear from his creation. And uh, the truth is he still loves to hear from his creation, including and particularly even you. This is why there is prayer. Prayer isn't just God ignoring you uh, while you're begging and begging and begging. Prayer is actually God looking forward to hearing from you. He wants to hear from you. And when you, that's why I, I, you know, I encourage people, pray as specifically as you can. God, do this and do it this way. I mean, actually throw ideas out to God in prayer. Seriously, instead of just, oh, Lord, help so-and-so. Lord, help Fred. He's a mess. What time's lunch? You know, that's, well, I, I prayed for Fred. Yeah, kind of. How about a little bit more specific? Lord, Fred is in a bad situation. God, this is what he needs. And Lord, maybe you can send someone to come to, or God, do it this way. I mean, literally in prayer, engaging with the Almighty, because apparently he likes that, because that's what we're seeing. The more you start to understand this, the more encouraged you will be, by the time we're done with this, to pray. Prayer will mean more to you when you start to understand what it was that they were seeing. I think from Satan's evil perspective and these angels who doubted, they were able to use this picture saying, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think he knows what he's doing. He's always asking us for advice. I know what we should do. I got answers. Follow me. A third of heaven. This, these are not, you know, just low IQ people on the cheap end of town. All right? Which is a terrible thing to say about people on the cheap end of town. Listen, you know, these are angels. Everything about their life is perfect. They are full of wisdom. It's not like, you know, us, it's one thing. We pray and we live life and it's like, you know, do you ever feel like you're kind of looking through a cloud trying to see clearly? It's called faith. That's what we do. These guys don't have that. There's no faith problems for them. But yet, a third of it, and how many is that? This thing, one, one thing about God is he makes a lot of stuff. Third of angels all buy into this argument. So there had to be something. I'm convinced, my personal convincing uh, uh, thought is that's what they're seeing. They've been seeing this for eternity. And Satan comes in and fills their mind with doubts and tries to take advantage of this picture. The other thing that they know about God is apparently he can be influenced by these suggestions. So where do you get that? Well, this is the third picture we have into heaven that we see. Uh, now, this is found in Job. It looks like Job, J-O-B, just pronounced Job. Chapter one. In the land of Uz, not Oz, but in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, which is, I guess, two in a yoke, that's at least 1,000, uh, and 500 donkeys, 
and had a large number of servants, I bet. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So this guy lives in the East, and he's loaded up the wazoo. I mean, he has got, his life is good. And one of the reasons life is good is because God has been blessing him because he is a righteous man. He desires to do the right thing. He avoids the evil things. He wants to honor God. Well, his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays. And they would invite their three sisters to come over, eat, drink with them. Uh, When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. And early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps. Now, check this out. He's, He's not sure that they've done anything wrong, but he would literally pray and offer sacrifice to God in case any of my children have sinned or cursed God in their hearts. Forbid they'd actually use God's name in vain. But I mean, this is how circumspect he is. This is how you talk about a detailed kind of guy. I mean, when they're done partying, he says, you know, partying can get out of hand. You know, maybe, you know, maybe they, I, mean, I don't know, maybe they did. I, but but I'm, I'm just going to offer this and worship God and pray God just to forgive and cover my children. Which is, again, a great example of what parents should do for their children. Pray God's grace and comfort over them. Uh, and uh, say, well, can you pray for someone? that has sinned? Uh, Actually, you can. Um, You know, we have this thinking that the only way, uh, I should go to this verse. What verse is that? Somebody find it for me. Joe, find it for me. What did you say? Was it John, 1 John 5? 5 what? Look it up. We'll go to there in just a second. Get ready back there, boys. All right. Uh, So this this is free. So anyway, the uh, uh, idea that you can actually pray for, see, we think the only way someone can be forgiven is if they have to admit it and, you know, be humiliated or humbled. And, you know, we get real harsh with people. Uh, and John comes up with this verse that Joe's about to tell me. <laughs> verse 16. Okay, guys, five. First John 5, 16. Can you pop up on the screen? Okay, so this is John writing. He says, if any, if you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death. There are sins that are really bad that would cause you to fall away from God, you know, murder and all kinds of, you know, horrible things. Uh, You should pray and God will give them life. You can pray and God will forgive them. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. We're going to talk about really nasty things. Uh, so, So here's this idea that you can actually, if you see someone you know, maybe you see someone who loses their cool and gets angry and they shouldn't, you know, say something they shouldn't say. Rather than say, they need to apologize. You know, because we're that way, you know. I'm not going to forgive him until he apologizes for talking to me the way he talked. Well, the Bible's John says, you know, if you see someone do something that's a little out of line, just pray and God forgive him. You can pray God will forgive him. Just like Job is praying that God would forgive his kids in case they had sinned in any way. What, what is that? That's an attitude of love. Love covers. Everybody say covers. Love covers. The one thing about people that don't, don't walk in love is they do not cover. They're more into revealing. Let's find this out. Let's find this out. Let's find that out. But when you're walking in love, you cover. So he's covering for his own kids. Uh, the scripture there encourages us to cover for each other. If you see something that somebody doesn't do quite right, to pray for them, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So, uh, so this was Job's regular custom, the Bible says. Now, one day, again, we're getting a look into heaven again now. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Now, this is up for all kinds of 
strange explanations. But Satan is a defeated foe. And I don't know if you've ever watched uh, movies or something like that, or see, actually even seen footage of like the end of World War II or something like when the uh, general is surrendering his sword and they say, you can keep your sword. And they, they still treat them with respect or you can still keep your firearm and stuff like that. In other words, uh, you know, the uh, Robert E. Lee or whoever is surrendering something like that, they treat them with a certain degree of respect even though they're a defeated foe because they respect the office. Does that make any sense to you guys? You know, if you have enough respect to become a general, they generally will treat, even in, in, uh, when they surrender, they treat that general with great respect. Uh, will also often, often order, uh, offer quarter, comfort, protection for them, even though they're defeated, as of respect to the general. So, and I think it's, that's the kind of context here. Satan was very high up, and he has you know, the, the certain position. And even though he's defeated now, when the angels would come, and apparently there's this thing where angels come and they just present themselves before the Lord for whatever reason, I have no idea. It doesn't give us why. All we know this is going on. And along at the end of this comes, you know who? You know, Lucifer has to show up and he has to give account because he's one of these angels, one of these leading angels, even though he's fallen. So he shows up. And the Lord says to Satan, so uh, where you been? And Satan answered, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Life bites for the devil at this point. Uh, I don't feel any particular compassion for him or feel sorry for him in any way. But apparently he's stuck on this rock that we're stuck on. And he roams back and forth and back and forth. And you can imagine after having the power, the glory, the position that he had to now be stuck on this rock, roaming back and forth, messing with your head. All right? This is what he does. So uh, um, the Lord says, I said, hey, man, have you, uh, have you seen Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan, <laughs> being the little snot that he is, comes right back and says, well, does God, does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? In other words, there's a hedge around him. Satan can't get at him. This is something you want to pray for your household. <laughs> Lord, put a hedge around me. Oh, God, put protection around me and my family and all those I love and care for. Protect us from the evil one because Satan hates people. And I promise you, he hates you above all else because you walk in faith to the living God, whom he hates above everything. So he's, got, he's complaining that he can't get at Job because he has... Uh, this hedge around him. And it says, and his household and everything he has. You have blessed the work of his hands. So his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. Yeah, we're going to talk thousands upon thousands of thousands. That's a lot of, I mean, and that was a sign of wealth in those days. Um, but now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, if they're ever having this conversation about me, I hope, just move on. All right? But he brings us up, and God says, okay, everything he has is in your power. But the man on himself, don't lay a finger. So God gives him permission. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. If there's something that Satan knows about God and has always known, is that God can be influenced to a degree. This is really weird stuff, you know? Because we, there's so much of this, 
version of Christianity that is guilt-based and performance-based, that's all about just hear what God wants you to do and just do what God tells you to do. Just do it as if we have no say in anything, as if we are just cockroaches running around on the, on, on the ground. Just do what God tells you to do, and, and that's what this is all about, and do it to the best of your ability, and da-da-da-da-da. And while there's elements of that is, that is true, now, we are not just cockroaches running around on the ground. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are heirs of Christ. The Bible says when you come to Christ and born again and been called of God, your, sta- your state uh, stature in life changes as far as God is concerned. And he wants to hear from you and can be influenced by you. So anyway, uh, so Satan, knowing this about God, pushes him about Job. And God says, okay. You can take his stuff. So one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabaeans, those dirty, rotten Sabaeans, I hate those people, attacked and made off with them. And they put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who has escaped to terror. They killed everybody. But while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God just fell from the heaven. First of all, it wasn't the fire of God. Who did this? Satan. Satan, All right. People often get confused about that because in the Old Testament, if something happens, they always say it's God. Even here, they say it's God, but we know in the context that it's not God who does it. It's Satan. Everything evil and bad comes from Satan. Things that are good and righteous, the Bible tells us, comes from God. So all this guy knows, he's saying from God because it came out of the sky. All of a sudden, this uh, uh, fire comes down. Uh, and burns up the sheep and the servants. And I'm the only one who escaped. So just inexplicably, and how many sheep did he have? What is this? It was 7,000 or whatever. That's one heck of a fire. <laughs> Lamb chops, man, I'm telling you. God, Chris, and all the guys around him were killed, except this one guy. And he comes running. But while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They just ripped you off, man. You got ripped off. You've been robbed. And then they took a servant to kill them all. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, I'll mean, tell you, there's bad days and then there's days like this. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind Swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on all of them. They're all dead. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, which is what they would do as a sign of mourning, and shaved his head so he could look like me. And then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In no way did he stop after that and point a finger at God. Now, you know, had this been any of us, we would all have been pointing a finger at God. God, why did you let this happen? God, why did you do this? God, well, first of all, we know that God doesn't do these evil things. Uh, this is Satan's work. And, uh, and you got to think, who responds this way to tragedy? I must confess that I don't think I would respond like this. 
I just don't. I, and my guess is neither. None of you do either. <laughs> uh, actually, I, I know of one man I've seen in my life who responded exactly this way. We were in uh, Canada. And uh, uh, it was uh, at the time we had our own airplane. We flew up into Canada. And my co-pilot and uh, his wife and me and Deb were up in Canada. And we flew all over the country and up into Canada and wherever doing these conferences. And one night after uh, doing a conference, we were in a restaurant eating. And it's late, you know, after probably 11 o'clock or so before the food even starts to show up. And uh, all of a sudden, my uh, pilot's uh, phone rings. And he picks it up. And uh, his son is also a pilot. Well... What happens is, they, he was flying a bunch of kids. Some of you might remember the story from, from ORU. There were like six kids or whatever was in, in this plane. And it caught fire in midair at 10,000 feet. The cabin is filling with smoke. Uh, the guy, I, I know the kid, he's, he was a great pilot. And uh, he got that thing on the ground, miraculously. We, we used to have this joke. I, You'll understand why I said it. We used to say it. I don't really say it anymore because of this. But, you know, when you're flying over Nebraska, or the middle part of the country, Dakotas, Nebraska, anything, you know, there's nothing there. And, uh, we, and, and we always thought, you always feel safe flying over that because if you need an emergency landing, it's like the entire state is a landing strip. Because there's nothing there. Our joke was, Ben, if you have to land an emergency and you hit a tree... In this area, you're supposed to die. You know, then we'd all laugh. Sadly, that's exactly what happens to him. He's over this flyover country. He lands. He gets it on the ground. It's crying and smacks right into a tree. Bursts into flames. And all but one of them is killed. Uh, it's horrible. So anyway, he gets the phone call from the police letting him know that his son has just died. And he gets off the phone and says, uh, you know, uh, He's dead. And, uh, of course, the mom just completely collapses and cries out this horrible howl, as you can imagine. Any mother would hear, here's a young guy, 20 years old, 20, whatever he is, just found out, I feel like my gut was punched and there's no air in my lungs. And, and Deb is devastated. I mean, how do you respond to something like that? We all know this kid. We love this kid. We love this family. They're very close to us. And we can hardly do anything. Crying, howling, and in the midst of all this, confusion and panic, my pilot says, let's pray. And he grabs everybody's hands and he starts to lead in the most calm, amazing prayer I've ever heard. It's hard not to tear up just thinking about this, but it's like, he's doing this and I'm thinking, Holy cow, who does this? I've never seen anything like it. He stayed as calm as he could be. He thanked God for his grace. He prayed for those, because we still know who, you know, the one, if they were still going to make it or not. Prays for everyone there, and I'll never forget that. I'm not mentioning any names, because he'd be embarrassed if I was mentioning his name. But holy cow, it's the only time in my life I've ever seen a Job moment where somebody just found out that some of the dearest in his life was taken from him in a horrible way and calmly offered praise to God. So, I know it's possible. I'm just saying, I don't think I do it. <laughs> I 
I'm just telling you, I, I think I'd be so overwhelmed. And my guess is most of you would feel the exact same way. But there are some people of character that are just beyond comprehension and strong faith. And uh, after hearing all of this, Job kneels down and he starts to worship and thank God for all of his blessings. God gave me all these wonderful things. It's his prerogative. He can take it all away. Well, technically, God didn't really take it from him. Satan took it from him. All right. As if this isn't bad enough, we hit chapter 2. Now, on another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. Apparently, this is another thing that they do. And Satan also came with them to present himself before him, again, because of the stature, status that he had held. The Lord said to Satan, so uh, where you been? <laughs> Same answer. I don't know if God is doing this, just to kind of rub it into him. <laughs> what you been doing? Roaming, back and forth, going nowhere. And the Lord said to Satan, well, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God, shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Wow. And then Satan eggs him on some more. Skin for skin. A man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to his face. And the Lord said to Satan, okay, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. I read this, and I just think, oh, good Lord, I hope they're never talking about me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I hope Satan isn't saying, yeah, just take this from Gunger. You know, see what he does then. Man, there's some trusts and trials I don't want to see. The good news is we know that the scripture says, God will never allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. No matter what happens to you, maybe they're having a discussion about you and something's going to hit the fan in your life. The good news is no matter what happens to you, God will never allow you to take more than you can handle. Apparently, Job could handle a great deal. So now, uh, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. So he's just sitting there with just, he breaks out in boils. And they're painful. So it's not going to take his life. It's not life-threatening. God told him specifically, you can't take his life. But just make him as miserable as humanly possible. So now he's covered from head to toe with this miserable situation. And uh, Job took a piece of broken pottery, scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes, just itching and sore and miserable and his wife says to him, you notice the devil took everything but left her. The wife says to him, yeah, the devil knows how to get on your nerves, I'm telling you right now. Kill everything. That no, leave the chick. <laughs> the wife says to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Isn't that encouraging? So say, no, she wasn't exactly the most pleasant of human beings. Let's leave her. So she sticks around, and she just does die already. And uh, tells him to curse God. And he replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this Job did not sin in what he said. Then for the next however many chapters, I don't know, 29 chapters or whatever, he's surrounded by people who are encouraging him why he, it's his fault. <laughs> now those are the kind of friends you don't need. You know, just... This is all you're doing, and you did this. So he's got, and, it's, and if you're having a hard time sleeping at night, man, read that conversation. 
it is one of the most boring pieces of reading I think I've ever read in my life, except for maybe Lamentations or something in the Old Testament. This is, this is brutal, as is they're speaking in old, old language and terms, and they're trying to explain, you must have done something, Joe, I didn't do anything. Yes, you had to have. God doesn't just do this stuff, and it goes on chapter after chapter, verses after verses. The verses in phrases that are often difficult to understand. In the very end, God blesses Job again, and the Bible says that at the end, he, had, he was more blessed and had more success and more children everything than uh, he did in the beginning. So, but he went through a very hard time, you know. We all like the, the, the good ending. Nobody wants to get in the middle part of it. So anyway, so, so what does this say to us? I mean, clearly, <coughs> Satan knows and knew there's something about the makeup of God that allows him to, first of all, he wants to know what's going on. He's interpreting that. He must not know what he's doing. He, of course, he knows what he's doing. But he loves to interact with his uh, creation. And Satan knew. I can, I can get God to do stuff. Even Satan knew how to talk to God in a way that could get him to act and move. It's rather fascinating. So anyway, all of this to say that uh, this is clearly had to be what he thought he was doing. Now, this, this has been shot out to all of eternity. All these angels heard this. All this big thing has all happened. It's not been in a secret. So this big charge has gone out that, uh, you know, maybe he, he doesn't really know what he's doing. Now, um, uh, when we get together next month, I want to get into this and start showing why God is doing what he's doing today. Because what he's doing here, and this is just a little piece of eternity. This has been about 6,000, 7,000 years since Adam. People say the earth's only 6,000 years. The Bible doesn't say that. The earth is probably gazillions of years. Who knows how long it's been here? And what's occurred on here before Adam? All we know is that since Adam, it's been six, 7,000 years. Uh, and uh, in this time, um, God is now demonstrating to all of eternity that in fact he does know what he's doing and he's using you to prove it. And we'll get into this. It's really rather fascinating. It's the main reason why we are here. Why are we here? See, all this is, this is the, we're in the biggest halftime in history. Okay, we know football, right? Halftime, take a break. This big battle happens. All these creatures get thrown to this rock. They're miserable. There's nothing but water covering. This is probably just devastating when they, when they hit this. The ecosystem probably is totally destroyed. It's probably what instantly wiped out whatever life forms were on the earth, i.e. dinosaurs and all this other kind of stuff. Everything's destroyed. Then God comes. They're waiting for the hammer now. All of these demons are waiting. You remember how many times Jesus came to someone who was demon-possessed, and when Jesus would get close, the demons would cry out. Do you remember what they would cry out? Anybody remember? Yeah, are you here to torment us before the time? Are you, here to, are you here to torture us now? See, they know it's coming. They all know it's coming. You know, sometimes what's worse than getting a punishment is waiting for it to come. <laughs> so maybe just dragging it out, you know, make them miserable. I have no idea. They know it's coming. And when they saw Jesus, they instantly recognized him as the Christ, as God in the flesh. Oh, no, now you're coming to, you know, so they know it's coming. So here this big smash happens. They're all thrown to this planet. And now what? 
Here comes the big hammer. Here comes. And then all of a sudden, God starts dinking around. He comes to the earth. I mean, the whole solar system is devastated by this cataclysmic event. I mean, the sun isn't even shining at this point. So he has left there be light. Turns the lights back on. The sun fires back up. The stars are twinkling again. The moon is... And he tells the water to roll back. And it rolled back in part. You know, the earth is still covered 70% by water. And you look down at this rock, mostly what you see is blue. Still to this very day. But enough ground came out and he started breathing life back into this planet and puts this garden, all this stuff. And, and the devil and everyone's like, what's he doing? What is he doing? They don't know what he's doing. And then he gets down and he forms man out of dust of the earth and breathes the breath of life so he becomes a living soul. He's made in the image and likeness of God. So God comes down and creates a little creature that looks like him. And he's walking around. And Satan and the angels are probably looking. Again, this is all my guess of what's going on. But they look at this creature and they despise him. First of all, because he looks like who? God. Talk about the look, the fashion form. You know, we don't have the glory of God, but you know, enough that we don't have six foot uh, wings flying around, you know. And they're looking at us, well, what is this? He gets tired. He gets tired. We don't get tired. He's mortal. He sleeps. He gets up. He's this little creature. He's lonely. It's all by himself. God says, this boy needs some help. Makes a woman, others two of them. And what is this? What is going on? And what happens then? Then, of course, God puts him in the garden. It's gorgeous. It's perfect. And he has to put in at least one rule. Uh, why would he put in one rule? Because love cannot exist without conditions. Uh, which goes against this Hollywood phrase that pastors have adopted and used. I know what they're trying to say, that God loves us no matter what, but they should say that. But then what they use is this Hollywood phrase of unconditional love. Unconditional love. There is no such thing as unconditional love. Love cannot exist without a condition. And every promise in the Bible, Pastor Joe will write you a check tonight for $10,000. If you can find one promise in the Bible that is not tied immediately to a condition. Every single promise in the Bible has a condition tied to it. It all has it. If there's no condition, people well, God just loves unconditional. If that's true, we don't need the Bible. The Bible shows us the conditions. Love cannot exist. The reason a man and wife can have love and as, as, as a husband and wife, they got certain conditions. Better or worse, sickness and health. No more dating other chicks. All the rules, right? These things cannot exist outside of... And so God creates this perfect environment and gives one condition. There has to be a condition because without conditions, love is not possible. So he gives them one simple thing. You can eat of everything. You just can't eat of this tree. Now, I don't know how long it was before they went and ate of the tree 
my guess based on his off, of, of Adam's offspring, I'd say about 45 minutes. You know, I, I don't think the day ended. I'm not kidding you. We do know that the next, after all this, that it says that Adam and Eve hooked up. You know, first time they had sex. I doubt that they were just hanging around for years without doing that. You know, it had been the top of my hit parade. So I think, you know, she shows up. Wow, check this out. Wow, wow, it's a woman. Woo! Adam looks at her and goes, oh, man. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. <laughs> and God says, okay, guys, just don't do this. I bet she just made a beeline for that sucker. Here, take a bite. Falls and then sets up what happens on this planet. All of eternity is looking now. All these angels, everybody's a witness. The Bible talks about how we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. All these witnesses are looking down and they're seeing what happens when people follow God's way and when they follow Satan's way. And what he's doing is he's answering these questions in a way so these questions will never, ever be raised again throughout all of eternity. What happens with Satan will never be repeated again mainly because of what's happening in people like you and me. It's fascinating. We'll get into this uh, when we get Taylor next week. All right? Cool. All right. I think we're done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that you have a wonderful plan for us. And it's fun just to kind of peel back the layers and take a look at what that plan is and why we are here to live lives that bring out glory to your name. Thank you, Lord. Bless all who hear the word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you guys.